Welcome to the Code Life Podcast with me, Nathan Blackaby, and my great mate, Carl Beach. Hello, mate. Good to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, mate. Let's talk uh, Unsplash. Yeah, yeah. So today, you yeah. mentioned to me that you've got an Unsplash account. Yeah, that's right. And you can basically upload photos. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And you're getting quite a lot of traction. Yeah, well, just over the last couple of days, yeah, yeah. Like a few thousand without views. Any, well, yeah, without any, I'm not promoted it anywhere else apart from 10 minutes ago. I just put it on Facebook. But yeah, yeah just, just by the nature of the photography, you're getting a bit of traction now. Yeah, just high class it's stock photos. photos. It's a place of stock photos. And what I like about it, mm. Insta feels Instagram. Feels yeah. kind of, at times it could be narcissistic because it's all about you. Yeah looking glam like the reels I mean I've done a couple of reels but they're based on my pets just, yeah. for, just for a laugh yeah um, what I like about Unsplash it's, it's you're contributing to people's ability to download free photos because you know like when you're trying to put something together a bit of like a promo or a leaflet you need photos yeah and, and you imagery. have to pay for them yeah, but yeah, Unsplash yeah. it's all given away for free yeah so I like that but also I think it's important to have interests and we, we like creating stuff, don't we? We yeah. like music yeah. and you're very, very good at that. I just like yeah. noodle around the guitar and piano, but I do like art and I like creating stuff. Yeah. But also it's good to have clean, pure and healthy interests, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I yeah. do like this. And these days, mate, they're all phone. What an astonishing... We've got a half-decent smartphone. Yeah. I mean, like, it's far more powerful and better than, than the digital camera I have when I first like, got yeah. one at age 30. yeah. I had a two megapixels or something. It's crazy, this, isn't it? This is crazy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I'm thinking of getting a better camera for my 50th. Oh, yeah. I am. But, but yeah, so Unsplash, uh, check it out. Uh, you're on there, I'm on there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're both on there. Contributing to the world's need for stock photos. Yeah. It's a good thing. Mm. Let me read something. Go on, mate. This is from The Fear Bubble. Okay. By Ant Middleton. Oh, yeah, cool. We looked at this once before, but a uh, different chapter. Death lies scattered about the slopes of Mount Everest like litter. Mm. There are more than 200 dead bodies still up on the mountain, some of them almost perfectly preserved, looking as if the person has decided to just lie down 10 minutes ago and take a quick nap. Right. Others are nothing more than piles of bleached bones with rags and strings flying off them. One of the most famous Everest bodies is that of an Indian climber, Siwang Paljor, whose corpse is often used as a way marker by climbers. Oh, gosh. Yeah. He's known as Green Boots because of his lurid plastic mountaineering boots that still stick out of the nook in which he huddled for shelter back in 1996. Another, Francis uh, Arsene was known as Sleeping Beauty to nine seasons worth of climbers until her body was hauled to a quieter spot in 2007. Green boots and sleeping beauty remain in their freezing earthly heaven along with all their silent companions partly because of the sheer cost of their recovery and partly because of its difficulty. It's been estimated that an 80 kilogram human body with when frozen weighs upwards of 150 kilograms. That's quite a lot isn't it? It's a lot. Unsticking 
it from its icy tomb and lugging it back down to the foot of the mountain wouldn't only cost tens of thousands of dollars, it would risk yet more lives. And the corpses come from everywhere, as was evident from that long list of fatalities I'd browsed all those months ago on the train home to Chelmsford. The lure of Everest is powerful enough that it can draw people to it from every corner of the planet. Japan, South Africa, USA, India, Slovakia, Italy, Brasilia, uh, Brazil, Cambodia. That five and a half mile hike, black and white monster, doesn't discriminate on grounds of nationality, nor does it quibble about race, age or gender. Blood tastes like blood to the king of the rocks. Oh, that's a statement. Just set the scene here, mate, yeah. Yeah. So he's obviously setting off to get up Everest. Have you ever wanted to climb Everest or anything like that? No. No. No interest. I, these in it. no, I mean these these guys who climb, I mean I've seen a photo of like queuing up to get to the top. Yeah. That desire to get higher and higher and higher. Yeah. What is that? I mean and I watched that I watched a documentary of the guy on Netflix, the oh, I've forgotten his name now. He's a guy who was in the SBS and he was in the Gurkhas is his name Nirum or something anyway yeah. he, it's amazing he did 14 of the biggest climbs in like 6 months so the previous guy did it took 8 years wow. it's an extraordinary documentary yeah but I don't understand it I mean it's an incredible feat of human endurance and I do like climbing up for a good view somewhere and I like a good yeah. hike yeah but but knowing I could die and all these bodies littered yeah. I, I, I'm glad some people have done it I suppose but I don't know yeah, no, it's it doesn't appealed. grip me, no, mate. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. We're going to read on. There's an interesting statement I want to read out, and we'll just tease it out in our in our podcast. Um, back to the book. Mm. Of all the nations that have taken up its challenge, however, Everest still holds a special place in the heart of the British. The mountain was first identified as the world's highest in 1852, following calculations by an Indian mathematician based on observations made by the British Trigonometrical Survey of India, at, at a time when it was only known to us as Peak XV. It took a further 13 years for it to gain its Western name, which was given in honour of the former Surveyor General of India, Sir George Everest. Mm. Naturally, as soon as word got out that it was officially the highest, people wanted to climb it. The problem was that two countries from which the mountain could be reached, Nepal and Tibet, were at the time closed off to outsiders. No serious mountaineer could get near it. Right. So we're just going to do a bit of history here and then we'll introduce mm. Hillary. It was only 70 years later that British diplomats managed to gain permission from the, from the Tibetan authorities to launch an attempt on the mountain. With the blessing of the Dalai Lama, the British tried to reach the top with six different expeditions not counting the two reconnaissance expeditions of 1921 and 1951 to establish which routes of ascent were feasible. All of these attempts to climb the mountain failed and it was on the second expedition in 1924 with the tragic disappearances of the glamorous George Mallory and his companion Andrew Irvine that the quest for the summit turned into a national obsession. It's interesting, mate, that Everest today... You, you pay for Sherpas, you pay for the trip, and you're basically led up, from what I understand, a relatively marked out path, aren't you? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this point. You're guided up. You're guided up. This the, point. The Sherpas do the work. They yeah. carry all the stuff. Yeah. Unsung heroes. Yeah. But here we're dealing with pioneers saying, right, what is Different. the best path up this mountain? Yeah. No routes, Routy, no you got tracks. you pioneer the route. Yeah. That's Plain different altogether, isn't it? Next level, mate. We'll come back to that. Mm. Moving into 2022, pioneering new routes. Mm. I like that. After the Second World War, national pressure to bag the summit became even more intense. Tibet was invaded by China, which refused permission for any more attempts from the northern side. Towards the end of the war, a series of secret re reconnaissance flights of the mountain had been carried out by British pilots flying Spitfires and mosquitoes. They brought back detailed photographs showing a possible route from the Nepalese side to the south. Then, in 1949, after centuries of isolation, that this previously sealed kingdom started to open up to foreigners. In the autumn of 1951, the Nepalese authorities gave permission for Eric Shipton, known as Mr Everest, because of his repeated attempts on the mountain in the 1930s, to lead a reconnaissance mission up through Khumbu with the Sherpa Tenzing Norgay. Yeah, Shipton was the guy. first, yeah, mm. to navigate a way up the fearsome Khumbu icefall as part of a seven-man team. So you heard of that guy, that Sherpa, yeah? Yeah, Sherpa Tenzing, yeah, famous, yeah. yeah. So the intelligence he gathered on this trip was to prove critical to every subsequent expedition from the Nepalese side. And if that wasn't enough, he also brought back photographs of huge, mysterious footprints that, it was widely speculated, belonged to the legendary Yeti. The news that there was a feasible way up the mountain's Nepalese side sent reverberations around the world's elite climbing communities. And then the shocking news was announced. The Nepalese authorities had finally granted permission for an attempt to be made on Chomolunga's summit to the Swiss. Not only had another nation been given a fair shot at what Britons had come to see as their own mountain, it had been given to a mountain people with alpine climbing in their blood. Britain held its breath and the Swiss expedition made its assault in 1952 and then returned back after reaching over 8,000 metres on the southeast ridge, the normal route from the south used today. This was a relief but only a temporary one. They'd not claimed the summit, but they had set a new altitude record for climbing. It was now just a matter of time. The next British expedition was due on the slopes the following spring. The year after that, the French were going. And then the year after that, it was the Swiss again. So for the British, it was now or never. Mm. And we're almost at the quote I want to get to. Most expected Mr Everest to be given the job of expedition leader, but on the 11th September, 1952, a telegram was thrust into the hands of a colonel, uh, of a colonel in the British Army called John Hunt, inviting him to take on the role. When he read the message, as he recalled in the Ascent of Everest, I experienced excitement and apprehension in more or less equal proportions. He went about recruiting a team of climbers between the ages of 23 and 43, Describing one of these men, somewhat uncompromisingly, as lanky in build, by profession a beekeeper near Auckland. This was Edmund Hillary. What was appealing about Hillary to Hunt was not so much his physical build and climbing prowess, 
although he was obviously an experienced mountaineer in his home country of New Zealand, but it was his positive mindset. Hillary was, remembered Hunt, astounding in a relentless energy, possessed of a thrusting mind which swept aside all unproved obstacles. <laughs> Let me read that again. Relentless energy possessed of a thrust in mind which swept aside all unproved obstacles. Let's dwell a pause on that for a minute. I really like that description of Hillary. This, like, if it wasn't proved, then let's push for it. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. If it's not a proved obstacle, if it's not a proven shut door. It's not an obstacle until you decide it is, is yeah, it? Yeah, then we try. Yeah, that's it. I like that attitude. I like that sort of push. Nothing happens to a bloke we don't have a go. Yeah, so I thought we could tease that out. Yeah. Starting a new year, how do we reach blokes with the gospel? How do we think about it? Even just approaching it in our mindset. Like, is there obstacles that we've already put in place? And I know loads of my mates where you think, I can think of obstacles. I think he's got so many arguments against the Christian faith. He's had terrible experiences. And I start thinking, oh, maybe it's not possible. Maybe that is a shut door and it'll never, it'll never turn his life. So let me say something relatively contentious on, right. that, on that point. I think we've, we've, I mean, I believe in apologetics. Yeah. Right. And we've got you know, the um, demolition squad yeah. working on, you know, good arguments for the Christian faith. Yeah. There's been a problem though, I think, in that they, and you said it two minutes or a minute ago, you no. said, you know, they've got all these objections to the Christian faith. Yeah. We are breeding a culture that doesn't know how to deal with mystery. Interesting. And and we keep trying to have logical arguments, everything, and out logic people. And yeah, here's you know, here's the you know the ten ways we can deconstruct people's unbelief, and here's the ten answers to the most common problems. Yeah. Um, we are actually creating potentially creating obstacles. Now that has its place. Yeah. But how about we create a culture where we we adventure into mystery? and unanswered questions we we journey through the fog and mist of life that's interesting like when you're driving through fog it's an act of faith isn't it yeah just think about this while I'm talking yeah, yeah. like you you know and you can't go on four beings and just reflect back on it and can't see you nothing more. yeah you have to just trust and drive slow and just and just push through that fog yeah I think we need to encourage people to do that in their lives you know let's, let's go into the uncharted territory of mystery what if there is a God? Yeah. What if he's talking to you? Yeah. What if he's there right now listening to you? What if he's present in this room during this conversation? Yeah, what yeah, if, yeah. What if, what if? Let's, let's do it with mystery. I like that, mate. Because I always reflect a little bit on the mystery of God as in, in the wilderness of God or the, the wildness of God. Because so much of the Old Testament was people getting cut in half and nations being put to the <laughs> sword and you think, it's brutal. Yeah. God was moving and forging the people and you, but then we've got a New Testament kind of reflection yeah. or understanding of God where you think well he wouldn't let anyone die or he wants the best for yeah, everyone yeah but then you got wild moments like was in Acts 5 where Ananias and Sapphira gets struck down by yeah, Peter yeah. well by the power of the Holy Spirit after yeah. Peter you know, calls out this like instant there's no like would you we mind we can't cope with that we no. seem to can't cope with that nature no. of God can we, we don't but that's the mystery the, the wildness of God that we yeah sometimes we don't go near and, and we don't should we have all the answers to everything the problem is now we've got massive information overload I was thinking about this in terms of like the news I'm getting fed up with listening to the news because we just yeah. overload with facts and information from people's particular perspectives yeah 
It's the elimination of mystery and wonder and unanswered questions. Well, it's like the James Webb, isn't it? The, this new telescope. It's yeah. let's answer that mystery of the Big Bang. Let's prove that it was this or find right. the origins. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's a pursuit to to deveil mystery. Yeah, and God is shrouded in mystery to a yeah. large extent. And so, if we embrace mystery, then life is you know pioneering a new course up yeah. a mountain that we've never seen before. Yeah, yeah, and daring and edgy. Yeah, is this foothold gonna hold me? Which is incredibly appealing, I think, to blokes who are unsaved blokes who don't yeah. want to buy Why into it. Why don't you a... dip a toe in? You know, yeah, stretch yeah. up, grab that handhold and put your foot yeah. on that foothold and see if it holds you, yeah. my, my friend. Yeah. Not come and sit in this church hall for an hour on a Sunday morning. Or come to this particular event that we've put on particularly for you. Because <laughs> you're a backslidden zither. Yeah. Yeah. Or because we think you're like that particular thing. It is, isn't it? Faith is stretching out, putting your foot on a foothold and a hand on a handhold and hope and trust it holds you. I remember the first time I did multi-pitch rock climbing many yeah. years ago. Yeah. And the first time I did an overhang, and you had to like just trust that you're going to navigate around this overhang, clinging yeah. on for dear life. Yeah. But the thing is, I was roped in. Yeah. You know, but it's still like it's fearsome stuff, and you yeah. have to, you know, you have to grab hold of your guts, yeah. you know, and, and you know, go for it. But that's what we want people to understand about following Christ, isn't mm. it? Well, reach out to Him, see mm. if He holds you. Mm. Yeah, and actually, reach up, reach your hand up, see if He grabs hold of it. Yeah. Well, and, and the onus in part is on us to be modelling that and living it out well, try and taking try and big steps best shot, eh? yeah well moving from a comfortable house to a different house in a, in a broken yeah. community yes yeah, and then seeing God meet the needs yeah yeah or, or trying new like the new forms of church are rolling out or giving up the booze and yeah interesting you seeing how that goes and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah and it is like you've got to keep up. adventuring haven't you mate yeah you have and, and almost it is that inquiring of the Lord. Where where are you in this, Lord? I, I want to find you in this, in this mystery in my life at the minute. Well, no, yeah, and, and that that is such a powerful way to live. I mean, mm. like, this whole uh, uh, moving here and the like, yeah, moving to the state and stuff, but also giving up the the alcohol and stuff was, yeah. was just literally me saying to God, "What do you want me to pick up and what do you want me to put down?" Yeah. Put down your big house and put down the gin and tonics. Right. Yeah, yeah, I can do you that. You've got to have the guts to say, yeah, I'll do it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You've got to have the guts. Yeah. But then God is sufficient. Yeah. But that is mystery. That is that is reaching up your hand into the fog. Yeah. And seeing if he'll hold you. Yeah. Yeah, and mate, when, when we talk about it like that, when you then look at the disciples' lives around Jesus, yeah, and those lads went, some of them, to a real nasty end, didn't they? Bad, apart from two of them, I think. Boiled yeah, alive in oil and crucified upside yeah. down. Like they surely didn't go because they heard some good teaching that inspired them. They no, they mate. felt that mystery, didn't they? They were right yeah. close to it and went wow. And they lived it and they saw the answer to the gospel. Then they went out and pioneered it, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. And that's what we, you know, yeah. So we got to do: keep on the front foot of his purposes, keep stretching up into the fog. Yeah, living mystery. That's what that's 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 where I'm at at the moment. Christ mystery. Yeah, I'm just trying to live in a mystery. Yeah, I like it. That and taking random photos, run splash. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> mm. Thanks for listening.